Hello innovators and welcome back to another interesting conversation about human innovation. Today's guest is Natalie Turner. Natalie is an experienced innovation specialist who has more than 25 years of working as a corporate innovation director, a business consultant and entrepreneur. She has worked for and consulted with some of the world's leading organizations, including Cisco Systems, GSK, Leo Pharma Asia, Edgewell, and the Singapore government, helping them build innovation systems, culture and capabilities, as well as generating new ideas to help them grow their teams and businesses. As founder of the Ethno Network, based out of Singapore, she has made her passion for purpose and people-driven innovation practical as well as inspirational to elevate people's thinking on not only what they can create, but how the mind, skill sets and cultural environments that make every innovation happen. Natalie is author of the book, Yes, You Can Innovate, keynote speaker, inventor of the six eyes of innovation and founder of Women Who Lead. In this episode, we talk about people-driven innovation confidence, leadership, how future organizations need to be structured and the importance of purpose in organizations. Let's get into the episode. I'm pleased to welcome to the show, Natalie Turner. Hello, Natalie. Welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. Yes, how are you? I'm also great. Great to have you. Thank you. Looking forward to explore the human part of innovation because we have, and we explored that we have so many things in common it, I'm foreseeing an interesting conversation, let's say it like that. Absolutely. <laughs> so one of the fascinating things while researching what you do and how you do things was you have an incredible confidence. How did you get to the confidence you, you kind of show in how you are and, and, and who you are today um, over the last years and how did you get there? Wow. Wow. What a question. That's a real opener. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think you do have to go back to childhood. <laughs> um, I had very, uh, I had a very eclectic upbringing. Uh, my parents were sort of travelers and um, speakers, uh, international itinerant speakers. Um, so I, I grew up with a very sort of big global outlook on life. And also I started doing public speaking at a very young age. I think I was about nine, eight or nine years old. Uh, so I was, you know, I used to be out on the streets doing public speaking and things like that. So um, I grew up with that sense of mission, I suppose, and also uh, communication and engaging people and 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 i could see that in doing that you could really affect people's lives uh, particularly you know with the spoken word but also the written word as well so yeah i would say my parents probably have a lot to do with my confidence and having parents that were very curious very open-minded and still are they're in their late 80s now you know they're still very open to life um, they're very uh, curious explorers. And so I grew up like that. That was my sort of, my way of seeing the world. What brought you into the realm of people-driven innovation and the connection of 
innovative ways of working and connecting that to the people? Well, I suppose that sort of grew out of some of the jobs that I that I did. So when I left, um, I traveled first for, for five years before I went to university. And so I was in my early 20s when I went to university and I studied politics in my, as my first degree. Um, and then I did a master's in economics and um, development economics and social psychology. So that really got me interested in in not just the psychology of the individual mind, but the psychology of social, the social space, if you like. And I, one of my first jobs after graduating from that master's degree was working in a small boutique consultancy practice, looking at how new markets were emerging for education, you know, it, educational markets and how technology was shaping education, how people learn. So I suppose I, I got very interested and very involved from both the psychological perspective of people and the change that was, is, was happening, is happening, particularly in terms of how technology is driving a lot of change. And then I had a number of other roles after that. But it was the, the, particular, the particular role that um, I suppose was a catalyst for me moving into setting up my own business and developing all of the intellectual property that I've created around the six eyes, et cetera, is um, I was a, a design thinking facilitator. So I would work with big brands that were looking to create new products, new services for their customers. And we would do wonderful research uh, that would always engage both the consumer or the business user and the client, as in they really enjoyed the whole process. And we would create, you know, these very human-centered um, different types of products and services or, or at least concepts for them. But what I found was that when those ideas went back into the organization, a lot of the time they would get lost. And, and, and that started me really thinking, what is the barrier to, to ideas. Why is it that we can get ideas a lot of the time? They can be actually, some of them can be very good ideas, but, but a lot of them die. You know, they die in that graveyard of ideas. And that really got me in, that became a bridge, I suppose, into really thinking about how important people are to the innovation journey itself. And also those social spaces that I was talking about earlier, culture, leadership, management, all these functions that create the space in which we collaborate, which we work, which we make things happen. If we, if we dive a little deeper into the graveyard of the ideas, how important is leadership as part of that? Absolutely fundamental. I, and I, I think this is often the sad thing. And I see this time and time again, you know, that even when you think about setting up, say, some sort of innovation program or you, you know, get an incubator inside your organization to be, you know, to set up, to create new things or, or you try to rally people and enthuse them to become more innovative. Um, and then you find a lot of the times things can start, and I expect you've had this sort of experience as well. You start a lot of these things and then leaders will decide Actually, we've done that. Let's tick that box. Let's move on to something else. And all of that energy, that enthusiasm, that, that sort of drive of people's engagement just dissipates. 
And a lot of the, you know, the ideas are not managed in any particular way. So there's no proper idea flow. There's no innovation management processes in place. It's all sort of left a bit up in, up to charts. And then people wonder why they get a bit disheartened when they're thinking about, well, why aren't, why aren't we more innovative? So I think leadership is fundamental for creating the, the environment, the space for innovation to really, really flourish. And uh, yeah, and I think you, know, you can spend all the time you like doing design thinking, doing, you know, create, having creativity, you know, creating lots of ideas. But unless you back ideas, unless you resource things properly, unless you actually put systems and, and processes in place to manage ideas, then a lot of it doesn't go anywhere. You waste your time. So yes, <laughs> that is, that, I, that's how I would answer that one. Yeah. Take, taking this to the next level, what do you believe we need to change in maybe the ordinary leadership development process in organizations, but also the educational part of Let's say the, the, the people who are right now studying or starting their first jobs, um, being in the trenches, what do we need to change to get them to be better leaders in the future? Mm. Well, I think it's a bit like in, innovating. You know, you, we can read lots of textbooks on it. I've written a book on it, you know. <laughs> I mean, we can, we can read and we can write around innovation. But at the end of the day, you've got to do it. You know, I think you've got to get your hands dirty and you've got to have a go. Um, and I, I think it's the same with leadership. We can sort of read about leadership and different styles of leadership. And, you know, I teach and I work with leaders. So absolutely, I, I think it's fantastic to have that. But I think that we need more hands-on exposure to doing things, to leading things. And maybe as people are progressing and developing leadership skills, having more mentoring support with people who have actually done that, you know, been in the trenches a bit more that can support in the real world of work, you know, so it's not some sort of abstract concept that you learn about uh, and then you're really trying to apply it, but really, you know, getting, you know, getting involved in leading people. Um, I think that that's, that's the best way. And going back to my childhood, you know, I, I remember I was setting up and leading things from a very young age. You know, I had the gym club, I had this club, I had a library going at the age of five. You know, I was, I was always an entrepreneur. I was, I was always wanting to start things and get things going. Um, and I think that's where you learn. You just got to get out there and actually try to, to learn how to lead. Yeah. I love that because I'm, I'm right now discussing with my wife. Our daughter is getting to be five in end of this year. And we're saying she needs to be put into situations where she's not just um, like in school where everything is kind of staged. She, she needs to be put in uh, like a hockey team, a football team where she needs to figure out how to stand out. Um, and that's, we, we right now have that discussion right now because I truly believe I have got and learned leadership skills while figuring out on the football field where you need to kind of put out the elbows in the beginning and figure out how do you influence the other players to that they follow you because you believe you know where how, how we should turn this game around um what what do you think on the leadership development as well on the coaching aspect of that i mean you're you're a professional coach as well i've had the beauty of 
getting an educational piece while I was working already to be a kind of a coaching mentor type of leadership rather than, hey, I'm delegating tasks to you and you're supposed to do that. What are the things we need to learn from a skills perspective? Mm. Um, I think that, you know, if in coaching, so coaching leaders, um, what I have found, what becomes quite interesting is that it becomes more like a, it's less, it's not so much mentoring. It becomes more like you be, you become like a creative thinking partner for leaders, you know, because leaders have got, you know, a lot of leaders have got a lot of experience of leading, um, particularly if they're quite high level. So they don't really need, um, they don't really need, you know, to be taught in that sense. Yeah. sense. They really need sound balls. They need people that they can bounce with, they can have ideas with, that they can have that confidential discussion that they can't have with any of their other team members or peers or, or you know, they don't want to burden their spouses at home or whatever. Um, so I think it's, you know, to, to, to be that creative sound board is very, very important in the coaching context. Um, I think when you're, you're uh, managing and leading people in, in teams, when you're a leader in a team environment yourself, um, and it's interesting now, you know, particularly with hybrid and remote work, uh, how you continue to engage people to be able to do that. So setting again, setting up the right sort of systems, processes to have those check-ins, to, to see how people are, to really help people understand what, what their purpose is in the team and what they want to develop. And then they actually taking a lot more responsibility for that development rather than it being, oh, a check-in with the manager that, to make sure you've done something. Do you know what I mean? It becomes yeah. a different type of relationship. They're the ones I've always really enjoyed, whether I've been managed in, in former roles or I've been a manager or a leader of other people, is to have that sort of, that more of an open dialogue of um, you know, what, what needs to be achieved and how does my role fit into the bigger picture of yeah. what we're trying to achieve collectively. Yeah, I agree. One of the best managers I have had, I felt with him is like kind of, of course he was my manager, but he was also kind of a friend who, who is not just concerned about the business topics, who also was concerned about my personal development and how I can advance yeah, my development and my future career, but as well on a personal level. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I think that the, you can often have that great relationship and that great rapport with people. And, and, we, and we know, we know from research that the manager role is the most important role in an organization. Um, and it's, it, it's the number one reason people normally leave an organization. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's a very interesting one. That's w w one of my beliefs. And I would, would like to get your opinion on, on, on that as well. I believe we need to focus way more on leadership onboarding and as well on leadership development inside of organization rather than finding the person with the perfect right skill set when it comes to the detailed task let's say if you're a cfo yes of course you need to understand numbers but the leadership skills are double as important than the technical yeah. knowledge of these things what is your opinion Absolutely. on that I, I completely agree i think what we see is people are promoted into leadership roles 
and they don't actually have leadership ability. Uh, they don't. Um, they don't really. They don't know maybe really good communication skills, influencing, understanding the psychology of people, um, how to create um, environments of motivation and engagement. You know, they've been sort of promoted into leadership or given a leadership role because they have technical ability. Um, not necessarily the people skills ability to lead and manage other people. So, yeah, I, I see that a lot. Taking this, and I would like to shift us a little bit into the organizational context. So if we look into taking this people-centric and people-focused part to how do we need to change organizations of the future to be future fit? Let's start with high level. You talk a lot and uh, one of your models is about purpose in the center. Um, tell us a little bit about more what is the purpose and how important that is and how you help organizations to get into that. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a model called the six eyes of innovation and it's a purpose centered and people centered approach to innovating. And going back to the story, if you like, of how I got sort of into that whole area was that because I thought I saw that a lot of innovation that was happening or even organizational design or non-design, if you like, um, was didn't wasn't really thought through. You know, it wasn't thought through. Or why, why are we trying to achieve what we are trying to achieve? You know, for what purpose, for what end? And that can be at the highest level of the organization's thinking, right down to the individuals that are working for it and everything in between. So when you've got an alignment of purpose that runs like a red thread through you as a person doing your work, your day-to-day -day work, into your team purpose or collaboration purpose that you might be having with other teams or your organizational or departmental purpose, your organizational purpose, then you start, I think you start to get this, this energy that is far more um, uh, enthusiastic in terms of, of being able to contribute your own skills and your own ways of thinking to whatever the organization is trying to do. But I find that a lot of the, a lot of the time, People don't spend enough time thinking about these sorts of issues. It's like, you know, let's just get on with it. Let's just get on with whatever we're trying to do and not stepping back and really thinking. I call it the purpose pause. You know, stepping back and really thinking about why am I doing what I am doing and for what end? And if we want to take it to the highest level, is what I am trying to create going to have a positive effect on on people, on planet, sustainability, on all the things that we know are so, so important. We don't want to be just doing any old thing these days or creating innovation actually doesn't have a real positive outcome. So, so that's really sort of the purpose area that I think is, we're seeing it becoming more and more important. But when I started talking about it years ago, people were not talking about this at all. But it's still now, it's still there, isn't it? I mean, people are now saying, well, yeah, purpose is really important. What's, what's purpose about? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I've had the beauty to work with a couple of young entrepreneurs and students. And looking into the future, these are all the future leaders of organizations. And what I found out that for them all throughout Purpose is one of the most important deciding factors of what they're choosing to do and which company they're willing to work for. Yeah, absolutely. Because you want your life 
to have meaning ultimately you want to feel is what i'm doing having you know that whole steve jobs thing you know, the dent the dent in the universe you know is it yeah. actually am i am i significant you know am i significant is my life significant is what i'm doing significant and i think even since covid as well that's really escalated you know people's yeah. sense of significance is what is my work a significant thing you know am i just doing it am i just going through the sort of the motions or am i actually feeling that sense of connection um and i think a lot of younger people that that's even higher these days yeah and i think there are two parts of that at least in my eyes one thing is like how do you see yourself in this world and the other thing is, how do you feel part of that universe if we talk about the cooperation? Mm. How do you feel part taken care of as well? Of the do, Does the organization show and live the purpose? Or is it just kind of words on the wall like in some companies still is? Um, yeah. and, and then on a personal level, how can you contribute to support that purpose going forward? Yeah, absolutely. Like a mutuality of relationship. Um, and yeah. I think, you know, companies that, that are starting to grapple with these complexities and, and it's interesting, we'd be, we were doing some work with a company where they had really put empathy, wellness and innovation as their top three areas that they wanted to, to develop their leaders around, you know, to really build empathic leadership to build uh, leaders that really took care of the well-being of their people and and also who promoted innov innovation um, as well. So, you know, I think we're, start we're starting to see these pockets of, of, of different types of thinking without it, you know, that the old sort of old school of organizational life, you know, very much about just driving people into the crowd <laughs> to get stuff done is... And maybe COVID's helped with that too. You know, yeah. we mental health has become a huge issue, hasn't it? Um, you know, well-being and personal space. You know, so many things have now shifted that I think engaging and motivating and leading other people, we have to take, we have to look at people as humans. We have to look at them not, not just as worker bees, but as humans, <laughs> as, as, as people coming and, you know, coming into the workplace to do things together. If we take this, what do you believe organizations that are not there yet, but kind of try and want to figure it out should be doing and kind of how, how could they approach this? Hmm. I think, you know, some of the things that you can do is to, to spend a little bit more time really understanding people as in you know understanding the different types of motivation the drive the the um the different types of psychological ways that people engage with work um personality i think things to start to really develop the the psychological intelligence of leaders so it's not just about what needs to be done from the task focus but how do we do this? And what's the best way to do this, given who you are and how you approach things and how you, you know, um, how you how you engage with with your work? I think if we start to think a little bit more like that, then we'll 
we'll, we'll get better results for a start because people will be far more engaged in that process and in that dialogue than just it being a whole list of activities that they've got to get through to get to, to get to, to an outcome. And, you know, I think that the results orientation is still there. It's not that that, you know, that goes away, but it's how we do it. I think it's yeah. how we have those conversations, um, how to be more present to people, listening to people. The, the whole raft of communication skills, which, you know, we often call the soft skills, which are, in fact, the hardest skills you know, to really be present, to really listen to someone and hear what they're saying um, is, is, you know, these are the things I think that we, we really need to raise up as in, in, in importance. Yeah, I can imagine it's terribly hard for organizations that have never thought about that. So imagine you would take over a CEO role. Um, of an organization in an industry that is not innovative and they haven't really started that. How to work with the different layers of an organization to get the spark into the right direction? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think, you know, with, with a lot of organizations, it's always going to start with the top team, isn't it? The top leadership team, how they work, how they actually function together. Um, how they even respect each other and work together, um, how they have honest dialogue. Uh, you know, if, if you're not actually really having that in, in your own DNA as a leadership team, it's very hard then to expect anything to roll down through your organization. It can just become a rhetoric, you know, oh, best we should be like that, but actually we, our behavior is completely different to what we may say or may write down. Um, so I think, you know, really thinking through, you know, what is it that you value and what is it that you really want, um, you know, want, how you want the organization to be um, and, and what type of culture you really want to create. What does that look like? It's interesting, even with doing like even small facilitation groups, say with leaders, when you get them to think, not just, um, you know, okay, well, listening, we're going to, we're going to listen to each other. Well, what does, how do I know you're listening to me? You yeah. know, what's the behavior? What does it look like? While everyone is on their mobile phone or like, you know, looking at something else and there isn't hardly any listening going on. Um, I think you have to really have the, the confidence and the gut sometimes to call out things too at that, that level and just say, You know, you're, you're saying you want this, but actually your behavior is showing something completely different. Uh, so, yeah, so I would say that, you know, really starting with that with that top group and, and, and looking at how how they are. Yeah. What, what I've seen si similar to that way you say starting with with the top leadership, um, I, I was part of a workshop and was um, leading parts of that as well where we open up this discussion and the, the great feedback from one of the executives was they have never had a conversation around this. They have been working for five, six years together in that organization. And some of them have been a long time, very, very long time in, in that organization. And that what, what this person was saying, they have never ever talked about how do we engage with each other to enable the organization to go into a direction. It was always about how do we drive the business? How do we get faster? Mm -hmm. How do we get to the next? How do we double? And it was more about this topics rather than, hey, let's take a step back 
and just talk about us and our relationships to each other. Yeah, absolutely. Um, likewise, I, I can remember facilitating a number of leadership retreats and getting people to have spend some time with each other, like moving around, you know, so they'd have like 10, 15 minutes with each other to have that conversation. And they weren't allowed to butt in. They weren't allowed to sort of to, to confront back. It was more, well, what, what do you need from me in order for us to for you to do your work more effectively and for us to have a better relation. And they had to have a force to just to listen and take notes down, you know, and then swap over and then move around. And that's very powerful because actually people afterwards are just like, wow, I never even realized all of that. I never realized that I was having that impact on someone or, you know, uh, or you know, the effect of the, my way of working, um, how it was, you know, impacting somebody else. You mentioned the retreats. Tell, tell me more about the retreats you're doing. Yeah, so I um, a few and a few years ago, um, I was actually having a, a conversation with a very good friend of mine, and in London, and and we were just talking about women, actually women's executive education, and just saying that yeah, so much of it going back to education was just so formulaic, and you know, it's all very. Um, a lot of it very theoretical and and a lot of the women that I was meeting sort of my sort of peers who are in leadership roles a lot of them were in corporates um I just found that that a lot of them what they really wanted was space um to just get away to retreat away from from their workplace from their families even um and have some time where they could be with other like-minded women of a, of a similar type of background in terms of you know the roles anyway not necessarily the same background but the same similar type of level of leadership and so i we designed something called women who lead and women who lead offers this sort of space and time away from life to really think about who you are as a leader where you're going, um, how you're getting there, what sort of behaviors you know, you're sort of demonstrating, what you want to change in your own sort of style of leadership or engagement. And, and it was a facilitation. So obviously there was content, but a lot of it would be a conversation, but taking them really on a journey. So people would normally arrive very stressed out um, on the Friday night, but having that, having that meal together, say, what's calling you here right now? You know, what is emerging in you that you know you need to step up to or to become as a leader? And that would be the opening question for the Friday night. And then the Saturday, it was like, well, who are you? As in, who are you as a leader? And we'd use tools like the Enneagram and, uh, you know, different types of psychological instruments to look at the psychology and drive of, of, of each person and to explore that. And then the, the, de the, the second day was more, more like, well, where are you going next? And sort of using the six eyes methodology, going back to purpose, defining that, looking at where the opportunities were and identify, starting to generate ideas and ignite. And then they would leave. And this would be a condensed, like two and, two and a half days, really. At the end of that retreat, not only refreshed and revitalized and you know, had a, ni a nice, beautiful weekend in a five-star resort somewhere, normally in Bali or Singapore, going to do what next one in Portugal, actually. Um, but to, to leave with a, a, a renewed sense of the self as, as a leader, that confidence, and also 
a plan, you know, some sort of plan of, okay, this is what's emerging in me. And it, it could be things that, are, that they were currently working on, you know, in their own work, or it could have been new business ideas, new project ideas, or complete transitions. Like actually life needs to change and I need to start to get into, into action and into motion around that. So yes, I've been doing that a number of years, um, leadership re uh, retreats for women, and also master classes around communication, influencing skills, confidence building, and one-to-one uh, -one coaching. Talking about retreats, I mean, there's there's a lot, and 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 you have highlighted that the the personal aspect and kind of the the life perspective of it, and the importance of taking time for yourself. How do you see this evolving as well from a business and leadership context? Is this growing or is it kind of just in my, because I focus on this topics growing? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, from the people, the people that I work with, I mean, I can talk about just generically um, the, the, the stories, the things that I'm hearing more of is that it's, it's becoming far more acceptable these days to talk about type taking time out. Uh, but I also find that particularly in coaching, that you do have to encourage people to, to say, what, what, are your, what are your wellness structures in place that enable you to show up the best that you can show up? Because I think a lot of leaders are under so much pressure to get results and to perform at a particularly high level with, with you know, not so many resources than maybe they've had in the, had in the past, that, that a lot of these things do get squashed out. You know, yeah. They become nice to have rather than fundamental foundations for, for showing up in the world and doing great work. So I think that, I think that there's a bit of, um, well, a lot of tension actually around this, this particular subject. Um, and its importance is growing, but the pressure is growing. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, it actually becomes even more important, but the pressure is so high for a lot of people that they find, well, I don't, I don't have the time. It's often the thing. I don't have the time to actually think about myself and make sure I'm okay. But then at the same time, you know, that, you know, how are you going to, how are you going to turn up and be able to be empathic and lead from, from presence and be there for people if you're not even there for yourself? So yeah, yeah I think it's a, it's a real dilemma. I, I see this a lot. And even with myself, when I'm coaching someone and I'm not well with myself, I'm mm. in stress. I haven't taken care, haven't properly slept maybe haven't done the sports I normally do and all these kind of things, then you're not up to your game as well. So yeah. working then with leaders, I, I agree, it's super important to be able to take this, the, the time for yourself and as well focus on this. What I see um, in between as well, that some of the leaders lose their confidence because of the pressure. Um, mm. You're just getting told, hey, you need to perform better, 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 better. And it's not about appreciate the moment where you're in and and really celebrate these are all basic things but it's at least what i see right now that's not the norm anymore that's like yeah you can celebrate like two minutes and then let's go back to work how do you see yeah. that yeah yeah i think it becomes very compartmentalized i think that that's often the problem and also people having to find the 
it's like it's like that you know there's a rise isn't there like even if we think of apps like headspace you know, yeah. um, it's now going into the corporate world. You know, you can have heads, headspace as a corporate. Uh, I don't know how many people are, are using using it actively at work. Um, but, you know, obviously it's entered that type of domain. So there must be an appetite or at least a, um, people are starting to realize the importance of of well-being and mental health and 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 mindfulness you know it's not just about mental health it's about mindfulness it's about living a mindful life about being aware of your own interiority you know and how that's affecting your decision making you know being able to observe your thoughts and being able to sort of you know just take that breath and to be able to step back so it's it is it is both having a practice i think having a leadership practice but also then that spilling out into your into how you work and how you you know show up with other people i think if you have that then you're far more likely to show up in a, in a particular way that is grounded for you and, and positive for other people than if you don't have that so i think you know having these discussions and really encouraging people to find to find something that works for them i think that's another thing it's not a it's not a uniform um answer you know, some people, you know, love, love to practice meditation. Other people might like to go out for a long walk and be on their own, you know, in the tree, you know, in the forest. You know. yeah. um, other people might like to have a swim or, you know, go and play squash and just smash the stress out on the squash, squash court. But I think we have to find something that it gives us that outlet and gives us that way of um, being able to see ourselves and to stand back from ourselves. Yeah, and looping that back to the organizational challenges, an organization in the future, and I think already today, need to cater for that. Yeah. Enabling people to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting. There's um, some uh, work I read a few years back, which I thought was quite interesting, quite still quite out there. It's called Results Only Work Environments. I don't know if you've come across it, Rowe. Yeah. Um, and uh, it sounds like quite harsh in some ways, you know, results only work environments. It sounds like that's all you've got to be, but actually it isn't like that at all. It's a completely different way of contracting people. Um, it's all about, you know, people being aware of what they need to do in order to get their work done and how they try and do that and where they do it and um, is, is really up to them as, lo as long as they're doing it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. You've got to have that commitment to the result. But, but how you might do it, and you may decide halfway through your day to take a, an hour or two hours out to do something else, but you're working maybe a bit later in the evening if you need to get it done or whatever it might be. But to, to treat people like adults, you know, to, to say that actually it's not just about compartmentalizing work into this sort of one way of thinking. And I think also with COVID, that has in some ways had a positive impact on how we work. Because we've had to, to think quite differently about it. We've had to be very flexible and agile. And, you know, all these things that we talk about or, you know, think about in textbooks have become our real, our real uh, live, you know, experience of work now. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how these conversations and practices emerge in, in you know, coming months and years. Yeah. And, and I'm as well fascinated about the culture shift that happened going into COVID, now being in COVID, and it's kind of 
you see it with the big tech companies, but even the smaller companies. I've seen both extremes. Some companies saying we never go back to the office. We mm. re don't rent any space anymore. And then the other extreme organization who say you have to come back to the office. And what for me is not just on these topics, but it's more what does that make to the culture? Everyone yeah. working at home, isolated, and of course, connected to digital screens. And now you need to go back and you are forced to go back. And how does that feel to go back? Yeah, absolutely. I think it was, all, I heard on some um, webinar, you know, they're saying that the, um, the, the office is the new off-site. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah. Thinking about the office as somewhere where you go for collaboration of a particular type, face-to-face -face collaboration or meeting with people, maybe less transaction. Why do we all have to sit together next to each other at desks, not talking to anyone, you know, just producing? You're far more effective if you've got the space at home. I mean, some people don't have the space at home. Yeah. Um, to, to just shut your own door and do production type work that, you know, where you need a quiet place to think and things like that. So this, the whole world of work, I think, is really up for innovation right now. And it's interesting, isn't it, that for, for years before even COVID hit, you know, a lot of thinkers and, and we're in this space, we were all saying management, leadership, culture, ways of working, this is the next frontier. Yeah. This is the next frontier of innovation because it's harder to replicate. It's harder to copy, you know, like products, you can copy them. You know, competitors can quickly sort of get up to, to speed or whatever, take, take, take what you've got. But actually copying your culture, your ways of working, what you create as an environment that actually brings the best out of people is a, a far harder thing to replicate or to, to copy. So I think, yeah, this, this is a very, very emerging space and a really interesting space. And it's been forced. A lot of this change has been forced. But people want to go back to something that actually has now evolved. And so there's resistance. You know, some people might be dying to get back into an office space. Other people are like, actually, I've got a new way of working now. I'm far more, I'm around a bit more with my kids or I'm, you know, I can go and do errands when I need to. You know, the, the whole thing has shifted. So to try to sort of uh, straightjacket everything, you know, things back into an old way, an old model, I don't think is, is really going to serve, serve any great purpose. Yeah, I agree. It's really about reinventing, like there are a lot of programs kind of reinventing the workplace, reinventing, let's go back to the office. And I think it's really using that opportunity to say, what is our competitive advantage with using that culture, which we have formed over the pandemic and taking it to the next levels. Oh. But it requires, in my eyes, at least, it requires work and focus on these topics, not just say, yeah, let's go back to work and let's do a change management process around it. It's really about this. For me, is if, if you do it well, like you said, the focus on the humans, taking it to the next level is now an opportunity to say, hey, how can we use this as competitive advantage, catapulting our business to the next level? Mm, yeah, um, absolutely. And thinking what is the work that needs to be done What's the best place for that work to be done? Exactly. And, and what's the best way for the work, how to do that work? 
you know, and, it, and every time the answer might be a little bit different, depending on what it is you're actually trying to do, you know, this whole concept of work being a place rather than something that you're actually trying to achieve, you know, with other people, um, you know, it has to shift. I mean, it's, it's just, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, and, 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 and again, you know, if you were to say you, you, your, your work requires you to be um, face to face or it requires you to be with other people, then you have to be with other people because that's the job, you know, that's the yeah. nature of the work. <laughs> You know, for a nurse to be completely remote is not going to be much good of a patient's in hospital that needs actual care. So, you know, you have to think about, well, what is it that the person is doing and and what is the best environment for that work to, to take place? Yeah, that goes back to being people focused. I would like to talk about your book. Um, and I'm, I'm reading a sentence which I like very much. It's more than just a book. It is a movement to help people around the world get better at making new ideas happen in times of change and uncertainty. Yes, you can innovate is the title of the book. Tell us more about that and, uh, and, and maybe link it as well a little bit to the conversation we have had. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, when I wrote the book, it, I wrote the book and had it published in 2018. And... Um, what I, one of the reasons I wrote it was that I'd been working with the six eyes model. And just to recap that, we've got, you know, six different elements um, and they're all of the same weight, same equal importance, identifying opportunities, igniting new ideas, investigating ideas, investing in them, implementing them and improving them. And it's in a circle with purpose in the center, with two little triangles that link purpose to each of the eyes. And the inner one is for culture, for the environment that supports that phase of the innovation journey. And the outer one is for um, processes that will support that, that stage of the innovation journey. So after having worked with this model for a number of years and developed a whole profiling instrument, people can understand their strengths you know i'm an igniter you know i'm someone that comes up with ideas you know that's my strength um other people are you know come up with different types of things on the model so when when i, I was encouraged by clients at the time saying well can you write a book that is practical uh, that is is that is based more on the, the human trying to innovate rather than big concepts about you know innovation theory and uh, you know big disruption and everything else, you know, can you focus on ordinary people trying to do stuff, you know, trying to make new things happen in their life and use the model as the journey map. So that really gave me this whole idea of, yes, you can innovate, that it's something that can democratize innovation for people, um, regardless of what their job is, or, you know, they don't have to be innovation managers or in, in innovation roles or in R&D or in tech or digital or whatever. They, they could be doing anything, actually, because everybody has to think in a particular way to help the ideas journey through those six eyes. So if they've, got a, if they've got a map that can help them do that and they've got skills or tools or um, ways to get better at doing that, then they're gonna be far, more, be far more likely to hopefully have some positive impact with the ideas that they're generating or that we're working on. Because not everyone's a great idea generator or an igniter, but some people are great implementers. 
but they're still innovators. It's just they may never have seen themselves that way. So that really sort of tied together a lot for me in terms of bringing that very practical, very hands-on, very skills and mindset-orientated approach to innovating. So it, if I understand you right, it's really a tool which helps people to get started. It's not just theoretical models where people use, I understand the model, but I have no idea how to implement it. It's really about how can you use it, right? Yeah, absolutely. So the book has... Um, do this, try this, have a go at this, you know, want to be, want to develop a more creative mindset? Well, well here's, here's a few things you could try out. Um, and so I tried to make it more like a, like a playbook in that sense, you know, have a, have a, have a go, have a go. Like going back to what we were saying earlier, you yeah. have to learn all of this stuff by doing it. You can't, it's not, you can't just sort of read it and think, oh yeah, well that's interesting and then not do it because you're not going to actually learn how, how to innovate. Um, and innovation is not just about creative thinking. It's about pl applied creativity, creating value in some form or another. Some, some might be big, some might be very small in terms of value, but something has to be implemented. You know, it has to be come into the world. And I, so I really wanted to make that accessible for people, to, to sort of unpack this big word, innovation. When you Google it, you get you know, billions of hits and everything. You know, what, is, what does it mean to me in my job, in my role? Or if I'm an entrepreneur, what does it mean to me? Well, I'm trying to start a new business or if I'm in a big corporate, you know, what does it, it's, all, it's always going to have a slightly different meaning depending on who you are, what you're doing, what your job is, what you want, what your purpose is. So... That was that was really the intention behind it. How was it? So how was the process from going from a practical perspective and putting all the wealth of your knowledge and your models into into the book? How, how did you go about to say, one hand, I want to have a practical thing, but I need to kind of explain it that people understand it. How did you do that? Hmm. Well, I spent some time, first of all, really sort of mapping out the whole of the, the book, what, what it would be. And, and in some ways, it was relatively straightforward because of the model itself. So I could have the different chapters that would focus on each of the eyes. You know, sort of the introduction obviously sets the scene for everything, the profile. So as part of the book, people can go online onto the website and get a profile, then answer a short questionnaire about themselves, and it'll say, you know, what which one has come up higher for them in terms of their perception of their strengths. Um, so I explain all of that. And then going through each, through each of those six eyes. And one of the things I thought would bring it to life as well was to interview a different person that would represent that stage of the journey. So these are ordinary people at work doing different types of jobs. And um, but happened to be high on one of the eyes. So Ricky for identify, Marco was ignite, etc. Um, and they were in different types of roles and asking them, how do they innovate at work? Uh, so I, I got like a whole pattern for the book. It was like, what is the eye? What are the skills that I, we associate with each of the, those those stages of the innovation journey? Let's talk to someone who considers themselves to be high on that eye and what mindsets associated with it. 
Um, so each of the six eyes, we have six mindsets. So you need like creativity for ignite, for example, curiosity for identify. Um, and so I have a whole little chapter on that. So that's how I did it. I approached, I sort of looked at the big picture, broke it all up into to those areas and then um, sort of filled it out and uh, had that sort of how to bit a bit of like an overview just so people could knew, know what I'm talking about. And then some an overview of how to how to try to get better at certain types of skills. Yeah, what I like about that is that people can identify themselves easier with it if you tell the story part of it. If you just yeah. have a have a model and that's that's then again the practical application of it. If you see yourself, oh you talk about Ricky like in, in your example. Uh -huh. Oh yeah, that's me. Or you say, oh no, that's Peter, my neighbor, or the person from work and so on. And then you can understand it and again like you said, applying it in, in a better way. Where yeah. can people find this book right now? Um, well, the book is available on Amazon. Um, I would, well, all online sort of booksellers um, selling it. Um, it's still some in some bookshops, but if it isn't, you can always order it from a bookshop. Uh, it's available both in ebook on Kindle and also a physical copy of the book as well yeah so and actually pearson the publishers in london have now created a uh, they've got a partnership with a company called vital source platform it's like an e-reader company so we now can buy code so when companies want to do big events and all hundreds of books we can buy codes for the staff and then they can send send the codes off to people and they can download it on an e-reader so yeah different ways to access it And if I have research right, it's available in different languages. It's actually available in Chinese and in Arabic now. So, uh, yes, that's very exciting. That's um, cool. Yeah, yeah. And of course, I will put the link to your website of the book as well into the show notes. L looking into the organizations, how important is talent development uh, for organizations, how we approach the totality going forward? Yeah, I think it's a really interesting question. And like all the other subjects that we've been exploring, you know, it's uh, we're on this cusp, aren't we? This cusp of change. And I started sort of thinking about it as I call it the Delta world. You know, if we think of the Delta geographically, it's, it's when you have these different river beds and rivers and they sort of merge together. And I think, you know, in a sense, we need Delta talent. We need people that can stand in those riverbeds. And like on one side, you've got all of the problems and the challenges and the opportunities that we face as humans right now. And then on the other side, we've got um, a whole technological advancement and change and, and things that are, that are rapidly changing around us. And so people that, you know, if we can develop talents and people's skills around their sort of their strengths and their motivations, but think of it not just as discrete skill sets, but mindsets as well. McKinsey actually did a very interesting study and they called it, um, they called it um, Delta in terms of uh, the skill and mindset development. And because I, with all the work I've done on the six eyes, which talks about thinking and attitude and perception, as well as skill, um, I like that concept. Because I think if we can have Delta talents, 
people that know how to collaborate. They know how to harness diversity. They understand themselves, their limitations and their strengths. And they have a passion for being able to look at problems that we need to solve or opportunities that we need to address and how to how to really sort of coordinate and bring that together. I think that they're going to be people really that can step into leadership, delta leadership, if you like, you know, to really close those gaps between what we need and where we are now. Getting us into the last part of the podcast where I ask a couple of questions which are kind of not related, but I ask them to every guest. If you can work with a project that is impacting every human being on earth, what project would you like to work with and why would you choose to work with that project? Wow. I know it's a very simple question. That is, that's a really big <laughs> question, isn't it? Yeah. You the know, others are I'm, not that heavy. Oh, okay, good. Um, I'm really interested in psychological change because I think we need to innovate now at the level of our paradigm of thought. You know, I think unless we can do that, we're not actually going to shift very well <laughs> as a human species. So I would think I'd like to work with something that is dealing more with um, enabling that shift to happen, that sort of that, that, that change in big human culture. Uh, I don't know quite what that might look like, but uh, that would be a really interesting, meaty project to, to, to think about. Love it. What advice would you give to a young innovator that is just getting started? Uh, I would say, you know, the great, well, one of the greatest things is to, even if you're young, you have a sense of your, your you know, what pulls you, where you get energy from. Um, you know, even just looking back over your school life or your, your friends or jobs or you know, things that you might have done um, before, you have a sense of what that what energizes you. And I think that's like the the quiet voice really of our of our heart, of our soul, and to listen to it. Because I think what can happen is you can grow up and you go into job after job and after a while that that energy that once maybe infused and excited you just gets buried below life. Um, so I would say really listen to that and see where it's taking you and follow, follow that red thread um, because it'll, it'll open up opportunities, new ideas, um, new thoughts, new discoveries. And, uh, and so I'd say that, but I'd also say, you know, really think about what it is that you enjoy and what, what skills you want to develop around the things that you enjoy because they're going to be the things that you're ultimately going to be very good at. And don't try to be well-rounded. Don't try to learn everything. You know, pick a few things, go deep with them and, um, and, and, and work and collaborate with other people who are good at other things. You know, don't try to do it all. Great. What is an innovative topic you, you are interested in and would like to explore deeper? Oh, an innovative topic. Well, I think it would it would go back again to you know, actually. I do know something I'm really interested in right now is alternative forms of housing. Really looking at how how are people going to live in the future? 
Um, and particularly as people are getting older and old models of housing and care and things like that are pretty outdated models. So I'm very interested in, you know, what's, what's, what's the future of housing, community, um, people living, working together, um, aging, I think is very interesting as a topic in itself. So yeah, they're, they're some of the things I'm very, very interested in. There are a couple of interesting projects on that one. Um, I, I tried to interview someone who is doing a project like this in France, but he don't want to go on podcasts. Oh, really? <laughs> Who's a friend oh. of mine. It's, it's like they, they approach the, it holistically to say, how do we, it's more from a generational perspective, mm. bringing generations together in a different way. Nice. Very interesting. Yeah, I think, I think that is going to be so, so important going yeah. forward. Last question, which is an easy one. Where can people find you and how can people reach out to you? So you can find me. I have a number of different websites. Um, my, I also have a personal website, which is natalie-turner.net. That's a, about me as a speaker and as a writer. Um, LinkedIn, uh, you can always find me on LinkedIn. And uh, my other sites are yesyoucaninnovate.com, which is the book and womenwholead.net for retreats and coaching, and the six, six-i-innovation.com for the six I's with all the different types of profiling and services that we offer around that. Yes, and of course, all of these links will be in the show notes for everyone to click through it straight away. Natalie, thank you very much. It was a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. You will find the links and resources in the show notes of this episode. If you would like to support the podcast, the most impactful thing you can do is subscribing to the show on any of the podcasting platforms and give me a review. This will help me to reach more innovators around the world and bring some of you into the show. If you have any question to the guest or want to engage with me, feel free to reach out to me on social media and contact me there.